In 2018, you got a massive cash offer for $40 million. First of all, what was that like even just hearing that number? It was so bizarre. Like, I remember being like, wait, what? Like, I remember I couldn't picture what my life would be like. Like, I, I was like, this is life-changing money. How did you get that news? So we were going into this meeting and there was supposed to be like a bunch of people in it. We walked in, there was only one person in the meeting. It was the CFO. And basically he's like, we're pulling out of the deal. Did you cry? Like, I would have bawled my eyes I out. I didn't cry in that meeting. But then I sat in traffic for like two hours, just like in my car, having to call my business partners, having to call everyone that was like part of that deal to tell them the news, our lawyer. Like, it was a mess and it was definitely devastating, but it was an amazing lesson. You don't need the fancy office, you know, assistant, the gigantic C-suite. Like I know so many people who are like, oh, I think I need to hire a CFO or a COO, blah, blah. Most companies don't need a CFO or COO. Being a solo founder, like founder depression is really real. You are alone in that struggle and it's very hard to find people who support or care as much as you do. So I like to be as open about it as possible because I, I, I've struggled with it myself. My name's Mimi Bouchard, founder of Superhuman, the transformational app that helps you become your future self so that you can finally start attracting more joy, abundance, health, wealth, and love into your life. And that's also my mission on this podcast. Meet people whose lives have been transformed in big and small ways, but always for the better. They tell me how they did it so that you can too. Today on the podcast, how serial entrepreneur Jacqueline Johnson lost, then made, her multi-million dollar fortune. Super duper excited. It's so weird for me having notes because, again, like I said, my past podcast was just like anything Off that came to mind. But yeah. now I'm like, okay, I have a producer. I need to— I love it. Yeah. That's well, good to like revamp it. I mean, we've done— I actually wonder how many episodes we've done. I feel like a ton. We've been doing it since 2017. So it's like— I have two. Yeah, so yeah. maybe we're around the same. But actually, I think that's really interesting because, like, I feel like we also need a little bit of a revamp. Like, it's hard because, like, we have, like, a new team at CNC, too. So I'm yeah. trying to get them to do, like, new or fresher marketing. I keep setting this up. I'm like, do it like this person. Do it like this person. Yeah. But, yeah, I feel like that's a good timing to, like— redo it. So what's your involvement now with Create and Cultivate? So basically, I mean, I'm still the founder, obviously. And then I, um, I'm i on the board and okay. like a still a shareholder and yeah. data. I'm like on retainer basically. But yeah, I nice. don't run the day-to-day -day anymore. It's like weird. Was that freeing or like weird because it's you wanted to? Both. Yeah. It's both. Yeah. It's definitely like a weird identity crisis because like most of the world or like people still think I'm like yeah. full. Like I get emails all the time that are like, we're outside with the thing. Like, can you let us air whatever? And I'm like, oh, I'm not at that event. Like, Did you not but, see the news articles that yeah. I have sold majority of the company? Totally. Well, it's like most day-to-day -day consumers, I feel like don't, know that no. or read that or whatever. And we didn't really talk about it on Create and Cultivate's channels intentionally because we didn't yeah. want people to be like, what's happening? Yeah. And like confuse them and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, so it is weird. Yeah. Yeah. I bet it's weird. But the new CEO is amazing. I like love her. Yeah. I literally like just texting with her. So we we have a good relationship and we chat all the time. Great. Yeah. So how was it like to find a new CEO to take your place? I bet that'd be so difficult. It was super weird. It was a really interesting process though because we interviewed really amazing women. Yeah. Like we had like- You knew you wanted a woman. Yeah. yeah. Well, it would be weird for a guy. No guys applied, I guess is a better way to put it. But like we had these women and all of a sudden I started being like, 
do I want to leave? Like all these yeah. amazing women want my job. Like this is so awesome. Um, but it was, it really came down to one, someone who I really vibed with and who also understood like the vision, yeah. but two, someone who was like down to get in the weeds on stuff, yeah. like which is hard to find because we had these like really elevated CEO types, whatever. And Kate and I just like bonded so much. She had taken over for the founders of Well and Good um, when they got bought. And so she's like, I understand this, like, how important founders are, that, you know, how this transition goes. And so she's been awesome. Have you disagreed on anything since she took over? No. I mean, like, we're very much on the same page. I think, if anything, it's more like just dealing with this economy and issue. Like, Mm -hmm. that's more what we get into because it's, like, it's challenging. It's really, really hard. And now she has to deal with the new owners who are, you know, private equity, which is a different beast. So yeah. her and I are definitely on the same team against, like, everyone. Yeah. You know, so that's yeah. good. Versus, that's like, great. us being against each other. So Create and Cultivate, that's a whole journey. That's a huge part of your career. And now you just announced your newest venture, which is Cherub. Tell me a bit about that, because on LinkedIn, you were calling it the Raya for deal flow, which is so cool. <laughs> Before Ben, I used Raya, you oh, know. <laughs> love it, love it. Look, everyone has their, their experiences with Raya. But yeah, no, I'm so excited for Cherub. So basically, you know, I've spent the last year in venture capital, yeah. investing in women. I've been an angel investor for, I mean, over 10 years. And I basically, in the last year, I've done a ton of mentorship, met, met with founders, all these people. And I'm a big, like, problem solver. Like, mm-hmm. I hear problems, and I'm like, okay, like, is there solutions for that? And oftentimes there is, and sometimes I'm like, oh, wait, this doesn't exist. I should create it. That's how Create and Cultivate was essentially yeah. created. But basically with Cherub, you know, what I was hearing on the founder and startup side is, like, I don't really want to raise venture capital. I really just want, like, strategic angels on my cap table who can help build my business. Where are they? Which was question number one. And then in my network of angels, it was sort of like, how are you getting deal flow? Like, how are you thinking about this? It's like this a weird, you know, system of sending emails and intros and like, there's no centralized hub. So, you know, in talking to one of my good friends, who's now my co-founder, you know, she, it was interesting because I was like, I get a ton of emails to invest. She has also um, been part of selling companies and all these things. And she's like, I have capital. I would love to invest, but like no one's emailing me. So we're like, how do we solve this problem? And basically you're like, let's create a product. So Chara basically is what we call Raya for Deal Flow or LinkedIn meets Rob Robin Hood, where founders can uh, filter out what types of angels they want. Women investors, people of color, people with retail experience, former founders, whatever. Um, and on the angel side, you can say, I want to invest in the beauty industry, the fashion industry. And basically, if you match on your criteria, then you can start the conversation and potentially angel invest or advise that company. Um, Phase two of that business will be we do transactions on the platform. So we basically handle everything soup to nuts. Um, But This is amazing. Thank you. It's shocking. It doesn't exist. Um, But it's- How does this not exist? It's crazy. Like there's little- things out there that exist in different formats, but not in this specific way. And so our goal is to really increase the TAM of angel investors in general, because I think people want to invest. They just don't know where to start. And I think on the flip side, there's so many amazing founders out there that are having a struggle to get traditional venture capital that angels would love to support. So it's kind of this really fun, um, you know, experiment we launched in like a sign-up form to gauge interest. And we had over a thousand signups day one. We were like, oh my God. 
that. I think we're on to something. And who's so. signing up? Potential angels Both. or founders? So. Yeah, so potential angels and, and advisors and then founders as well. So basically... The way right now we're working with specifically accredited investors, mm-hmm. which means you means you meet a th- certain threshold yeah. that the government puts in for being an accredited investor. But if you're not fitting that criteria, you can come on as an advisor. So you could say, I'm interested in being an advisor to these different companies where you don't necessarily exchange money, but you exchange equity for value. Mm-hmm. So both those people have been signing up as well. The number of companies is insane that have signed up that are just excited to be part of it, mm-hmm. who want to you know raise a little bit of capital, meet cool angels, and then also use the platform as a tool to connect with those angels ongoing. This is amazing. Jacqueline, this is literally what I was looking for. I obviously am a business owner myself. I own the Superhuman app. And it's been bootstrapped the entire, Mm -hmm. you know, business. And uh, I'm at the point now where I'm thinking, okay, we don't really need cash because it's a very cash flow centric business and we're doing very well. We've been profitable since day one, but I'm now thinking to myself, I could grow so much faster if I had more high level people involved. Mm -hmm. And I'm getting so much inbound when it comes to these VCs wanting to chat. And, you know, I even have a call tomorrow, someone from Andreessen Horowitz messaged me saying, let's talk tomorrow. And I'm like, I don't really know if I like want to, but yeah, sure. Like might as well say yes to everything. But um, yeah, so I'm in this weird moment right now with my business or I feel like I'm the perfect demographic for Tara because I'm like, okay, I I don't know if I want to go the VC route yet. And um, I'm talking to angels and I'm talking to solo investors and uh, this would be a great place to meet more people too. Exactly. And, you know, beyond just like the angel investors and things like that, we also have a ton of influencers and celebrities that are going to be on the platform as well. So if someone uses your app, for instance, you could be like, let's give you advisory shares. We'd love to have you on the platform. So we're hoping to open up this door and sort of create a more streamlined process for this entire experience. Because right now it's a, a combination of who you know, what your network is. And oftentimes that's dictated by your socioeconomic status, Mm -hmm. your race. And so we're really trying to knock down the barriers of entry where we can give these amazing companies and founders access to these amazing strategic angels and vice versa. I heard this crazy stat the other day that I think 95% of uh, VC-backed startups are founded by men. Yeah. Like, like, do you know any stats like that? Like, oh, was that correct? Yeah, I yeah. got all the stats. It's well, really crazy. So basically, there was $31 billion in venture raised last year to obviously invest in startups. 1.87% of that goes to female-founded and minority-led businesses. It's nothing. It's tiny. It's actually gone what? down over the years. So it was at one point, it was at 2.4, I think, and now it's at 1.87. Why do you think that is? It's egregious. So I think it's a couple different things. One is, I think it's... It's a deal flow issue. So I think most people in venture capital and who are running these funds, so only 5% of VC funds are led by women. So when you think 95% of VC funds are led by men, oftentimes white men, what their network is going to look like is very much reflective of who they are as a person, right? So the deals that they're going to get are going to look, feel, be in the same networks, the same uh, colleges, MBA programs that they all went to, Mm -hmm. right? Where I feel like I had a unique opportunity was coming out of running Create and Cultivate, I was like, I have unprecedented access to female-led companies Mm -hmm. looking for investment, which is rare in this field. So it's really about this, I think it's a deal flow issue where they're not getting the right deal surfaced to them in that way. And there's just a lot of bias that has just existed in this world for so long, despite the fact that women-run businesses end up being more profitable and more successful. There's a million stats surrounding that. That's a great stat. Yeah, but it's wild that this just keeps happening. However, now we're seeing, I think in the last few 
few years, there's been more mandates, um, more calls to action for venture capitalists to look at their portfolio companies and say, okay, we're going to invest 50% at least in co-founded women-owned businesses or women-run businesses or minority-led businesses. So now we're seeing a little bit more activity around that or at least promises being made that they will start investing there. I, I hope it's because they actually want to, not just because of this. They social, have to. I yeah. know. I, and I'm like, these are incredible businesses. Like, I get to meet with so many amazing women that I'm blown away by their companies. And, you know, they're struggling to raise despite having incredible businesses. And if that stat is, is you know, accurate that you just said, and obviously it is, that women— own businesses do better in the long run. What was that stat again? Yeah, so basically there's a stat that says that companies with women in the C-suite or women-led businesses tend to be more profitable than businesses not. Why do you think that is? Because I think women are more cautious. We yeah. take less risks. Yeah. And I think that's because we don't have access to unlimited funds. Like we use what we have and we do the best that we can. We're very resourceful. Um, and I think that's that's where that comes from. That's, that's so interesting. So Create and Cultivate now, Cherub, like, how do ideas come to you? Because you notoriously are known for creating amazing businesses that obviously do incredibly well. Tell me about your thought process. How do you come up with ideas? How do you know which ideas to pursue and which not to? Yeah, so I definitely think every single thing that I've launched has been launched to solve a problem that I've either felt yeah. or experienced. So Create and Cultivate, obviously, 2011, I think it was, I like just been started my own company a few years earlier, was struggling, looking online for things that look, felt, spoke to me as a young female founder. Nothing existed. So I was like, I'm just going to create this. I think another thing that I have that a lot of people that I think a lot of successful entrepreneurs have is like, I just like do stuff. Like I'll just throw it up, see if people like it, are people reacting to it? And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Like I don't actually have a lot of fear in doing that. I think a lot of people I know are like, it needs to be perfect if I'm going to launch it. I need every single aspect to be dialed in. Like I'm like 80% it, put it up, let's see what yeah. happens. So, you know, with Create and Cultivate, that's how that company really started. Um, with New Money Ventures, my, my venture fund, it was really around the fact that I saw so many amazing women not getting funding, wanting to disrupt venture capital, and now having been in venture capital and on the angel side, I'm like, wait, there's a massive disconnect of deal flow, opportunity, angels, and cool businesses. So Cherub is born out of that. So I think for me, it's it's a couple different things. I think, you know, one is like, I definitely do my research and like make sure like, is, is this needed? Is there a market for this? ask a ton of friends and family. Um, you know, my co-founder and I on Cherub did a deep dive into everything that was out there. And what we found was there's either, you know, items out there that are for the masses. Like you can have hundreds of thousands of investors. There are any, frankly, Joe Schmo that wants to invest in your company and you could go that route, right? Which is not what we wanted to do. And then the flip side, there's like really exclusive things that are like $8,000 a year. Mm -hmm. You have to be a startup founder to even like participate in those circles. And we're like, we want to be like right down the middle. We want cool, smart, strategic angels that aren't necessarily venture capitalists or whatever, but have a certain set of expertise or strategic value. And we want to give these companies that aren't looking to raise $5 million, but like 250, 500, under a million, like that, are, that would move the needle so much for their business. And yet they can't get venture capital, but they don't know any angels. So it kind of is like, 
I don't know. I feel like I'm, I'm um, a glutton for punishment. I love starting businesses. Yeah. And like, but at the same time, I feel like I've learned to be a little bit more risky than I was in the past because I do think like you have to move fast and break stuff to see if it's working. So you basically just throw the spaghetti at the wall, see what sticks. You are the MVP of MVPs. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly, totally. And like when we launched it, we were like, let's see if anyone's interested. And then we got a thousand signups day one. So, you know, it's kind of one of those things like you never really know until you're putting it out there. Yeah, 100%. So let's go back to Create and Cultivate because that was a whole journey for you. You built it up to an incredibly successful place. And in 2018, you got a massive cash offer for $40 million. First of all, what was that like even just hearing that number? It was so bizarre. Like, I remember <laughs> being like, wait, what? Like, so it was really interesting. It happened very fast. We were still pretty small, pretty new. Um, and, you know, we just got surrounded by a ton of interest and people like excited about the business, wanting to buy it. And I just, I remember I couldn't picture what my life would be like. Like, I, I was like, this is life-changing money. Yeah. But I was like, I don't know how if I would do anything or be anything different than what I am um, at that time. And then came to a very like, you know, sad conclusion of like that didn't end up working out. And, but it was an amazing masterclass in M&A of like how these acquisitions work, how these conversations happen, what typically can happen, meaning like, a, like, I don't even know what this is a, a fake stat, but I would say like 90% of deals probably fall apart. Right. You know, there's a lot of conversation. You get super excited. You think, you know, it's going to go the way it goes. And then there's a ton of things that can go wrong in between. So what happened in due diligence with this offer? Yeah, so due diligence was done. This is a very specific offer. But okay. like, so basically due diligence is essentially a company's interested. You give them top line information about your business. They are like, we are interested in maybe buying you or acquiring you or merging with you or whatever. And then they go, okay, great. We're going to now dive into your business like with yeah. a magnifying glass to look at every single thing that you've ever done from a financial perspective. Um, and so we did months of diligence yeah. um, with this specific company and everything was good. Everything was checking out. Um, but basically there was, you know, and this is where it got interesting is that um, it came down to me being too much of the business at the time. So when you're looking at risk management from like an acquisition perspective, um, you want to buy a business that can succeed based on the business itself, not yeah. on the people running it, right? And so at the time, you know, I was sales, production. I was I was doing everything. We were a small team. I think we had seven people maybe. Wow. So I was doing everything yeah. for the company. And they were like, all of a sudden towards the end of the deal, it was like, this is a little bit of a red flag. So when you're going into deals like that, there's something called a key man provision mm -hmm. that they can also put in these different clauses. And so essentially what that means is like this person is integral to the business. So we need to make sure that this person um, is protected, insured at all costs. Like they actually do yeah. blood tests on you to te test your health and stuff. It's what? wild. It is super weird. Do they do this with you? Yes. So it's funny. My husband's like, are you LeBron? Like, what's happening? Did you um, get insured? Like, your body? Yes. So, Wait, so what? You are insured for <laughs> millions of dollars because if they lose you, their investment's screwed. This is crazy. It's, I didn't know it, this. this. Is, it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, so wow. basically, like, yeah, it's, it's super bizarre. Wait, but, okay. So just to be clear here, <laughs> the private equity firm that was going to purchase your company— Also has key man provision. Uh, so, needs to know what your blood says about you. So, I mean, luckily I was healthy. <laughs> so this was a different company. So the company in 2018 was a private 
company okay, that was okay, strategic. Okay. Yeah, the company yeah, yeah. that bought us was private equity. But you have key, I've, I had key man provisions in both of those. But what was interesting about what happened with the first company was they had gone through all this stuff. You know, they, they were nervous about that. And then essentially what had come out was that I was represented by CAA. So I had been represented they by— They didn't know that? So no. And, and nor was I like, you know, doing anything. But basically— they didn't understand influencer, founder, CEOs. Like, they didn't understand that thing, and they saw that as a massive risk where they were like, you want to go be a celebrity. Like, you're not going to stay here and run this company. It was like this weird 11th hour conversation where I was like, no, that's not, no, like, me being out there is good for the company. Like, this is the future of what it looks like. And for whatever reason, it threw a wrench in it, plus the market crashed. Like, so the they end were cavemen, kind so of. They pull, yeah. yeah, they pulled out of that deal, um, which was devastating, as you can imagine. So... How did you get that news? So, oh, it's like even, it's like a horrible story. Oh, but basically, sorry. I had a drive. No, it, it, now it's like funny, but I had a drive to Santa Monica, which I live on the east side of Los Angeles. So if you know, like that, it was like a meeting at five o'clock in Santa Monica, which is a nightmare for anyone who knows about Oof. traffic. Yeah. And it was supposed to be the signing meeting. So we were going into this meeting and there was supposed to be like a bunch of people in it. We walked in, there was only one person in the meeting. It was the CFO. And basically he's like, we're pulling out of the deal. So you were walking in there all excited. Yeah. Thinking and then, this was like, we were good. And then he just, Broke the news. Yeah. Did you cry? Like, I would have bawled my eyes I out. I didn't cry in that meeting. You were just in shock. I, I was with my banker, and basically he was like, like, it was an egregious way to do business. Like, it's not normal. I wouldn't say that happens every single That's time. That's terrible. In deals, usually you know pretty upfront if something's yeah. not going to happen. It doesn't really happen this far along. But basically, I got home, but then I sat in traffic for like two hours, just like in my car, having to call my business partners, having to call everyone that was like part of that deal to tell them the news, our lawyer. Like, it was a mess, and it was definitely devastating, but it, um, it was an amazing lesson. In, an incredible uh, lesson. yeah. Yeah, so and it's brought you to where you are today. Yeah. So looking back, it's but then the good news is, a couple years later, yes, you've now sold majority stake in the company for twenty two million. Is it? Yeah, that's so insane. It is exciting. Like it wasn't amazing. I'm so happy that we were able to come through. But it was funny because like going through the second process, I had a whole C suite of people around yeah. me. So again, not running into the issue of like me being yeah whatever. But I remember the first couple deals we got and like offers. They were so excited. And they're like, oh my god, this is it. And I was like. Not until the paperwork is signed. Like, we do not get excited about anything anymore. Um, and then, obviously, this deal went through, which was a great deal yeah. for the company. Yeah. So, what's it like being a multimillionaire? <laughs> like, just tell the audience, for everyone listening, every female founder or just someone working really, really hard to create this financial freedom for themselves— What's it really like having made it and having that amount of wealth? Yeah, it was interesting for me because I really, um, I didn't really pay myself a lot at Create and Cultivate over the years. Like I definitely was the type of founder that was like putting everything into the business, everything into the business. It was self-funded. So mm -hmm. literally we were like, really laser focused on that. So for me, the exit was always like eye on the prize for the exit. And it was funny because I was always like, my life will change when this happens. My life will change when this happens. Meaning like I can like relax a little bit and not be so stressed about like the end game of this company. And so the reality is like twofold, right? One is like, it is amazing. Like I definitely feel a sense of relief. I don't feel a sense of incredible pressure that I had around that business to make 
all my investors' money, all the, you know, everything around that, obviously, and, like, give all the employees a good— Like, it was a lot of pressure on one person. So, like, the fact that that pressure has been released is an incredible feeling and that that I have a safety net in the sense of, you know, if something doesn't work out, I'm going to be fine, my family's fine, like, all of those different things. Like, it is an unreal feeling from a stress perspective. It's comfort. It's comfort. On the flip side, like— Nothing in your life really changes. <laughs> like, it's funny. It's like, I feel like I operate and do life very similarly. Like, there's definitely perks and benefits to things, but like, I definitely feel like I still operate. I thought my life would change, I think, in like some ways, yeah. but in many ways, it's like you kind of enjoy life a little bit more, I guess, in some ways. But I, I would say like day to day, nothing really was like so mind blowing changing because. I'm an investor and a saver, and I love, like, being smart about the money that I have. I've never been, like, a spender mm-hmm. in the way that is, like, oh, I'm going to go get a Bentley. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, it's just not who I am personally. Yeah. But, you know, respect to people who do that. Yeah. But, yeah, it's it's really interesting. So did anyone come out of the woodworks? Because it was such a public, you know, exit, right? Did anyone come out of the woodworks from, you know, when you were younger or family members that you barely know saying, (laughs) hey, Jacqueline? (laughs) No, I wouldn't say anyone came out of the woodwork in that way, um, which was great. But I would say, actually, I got so many emails from other female founders that were running big companies, well-known companies that were like, how'd you do this? Because I think there is like this weird thing where you're like, oh, they sold a company. And it's like, you don't really know how that happens. Like, like, I think a lot of times people are like, think companies call you and they're like, we want to buy your company, which happens sometimes. But actually, it's an entire business of selling your business. Um, You hire people. They go out, they shop your company. You have to get all your financials in a certain way. There's teams, there's lawyers, there's bankers. Like, And so I found myself talking to these women who were like, we were just waiting for the call, you know? And I'm like, no, girl, you have to go out there. So it was really fascinating because I think also the fact that I'm sort of an accessible figure and obviously I'm very deeply rooted in the female entrepreneurship community. A lot of people felt comfortable calling me and being like, how do we do this? So hopefully we'll see more companies like sell in the future. Yeah, maybe Cherub will help with that. Yes, yeah. exactly. Really, really amazing. So incredible. And I, I just out of curiosity, we have a lot of people listening, um, you know, that that's so curious about finances and money. Mm-hmm. What would you do with that money when it comes to investing? I know you are an angel investor as well, um, but do you invest in like ETFs? Yes, like, you know, S&P 500, NASDAQ, in different stocks. Like how much money should you have in savings versus invested? Like, yeah. do you have any thoughts on that? That just came to mind because I know so many people listening just don't even know where to start. Even if they are starting with $1,000 or $50,000 or a million or 22 million, you know, totally. what do they do with that money? Yeah, I mean, it's all about diversification, I would say. I think that's the smartest way to go. So it was funny. So when I did the deal, um, my banker was like, you need to get a wealth manager. And he's like, I see this mistake happen with so many startup founders who come into a lot of money and they kind of don't know what to do with it, right? Or they spend all of it really quickly and then they don't realize they're going to owe a ton in taxes. So basically it's like, he's like, get a wealth manager. And so I met with a bunch of people, you know, whether it was Goldman Sachs or Morgan Stanley. And I ended up going with UBS. Um, And I love, I I basically joke that they're the CFO of my life. Like they really helped me think about where all my money goes. But I would say the bulk of, you know, where I've also made money separate of this, um, you know, 
uh, acquisition was real estate. Mm -hmm. You know, so when I I sold my first company in, God, now, like 2016, I think. um, And I bought my first house with that money. um, And it was like, basically, I just took all that money and like put it into a house. um, And You bought it cash. Uh, no, I, no, I wish. Yeah. No, it wasn't that good of an exit. No, but I I, I had a really low mortgage. I think our oh, mortgage was like $2,000 a month. Like, so I did put a lot yeah. of cash down. And Back I when took, mortgage rates were all nice no, and dandy. I know, oh my God. <laughs> now it's crazy. But basically I put in, um, uh, and then we flipped it. It was like an older house. So we cool. like did a lot of renovations into it and things like that. Um, that house ended up being like a huge moneymaker for us long-term. So we lived in it for three years and then we rented it for a few years and then we sold it during the boom. Um, so we were able to make a ton of money off yeah. that. Same with our like our new house that we have. So we were able to put a lot of cash down, have a low mortgage. Um, and I've been really strategic about real estate in that way. So real estate, I would say, is always a good investment, you know, considering where the market is, if you can get into it. Um, and then I would say I've diversified. I mean, look, I put a little into crypto, did not work out. Crypto, oh, angel investing, like all the yeah. risky stuff. Like I do it because it's like you might have a big payday. Like so I— It's a huge risk, but it's, it's sometimes worth it. It's yeah. sometimes worth it. So I, my best angel invest, investment I've made to date that's made, that was from five figures to seven figures was away luggage. So I Away was, luggage. Yeah. I have a way. Yes. Every, yeah. Like everyone in the world does. It's crazy. But like my friend Jen started it and I, I have friends and family invested in the it's first amazing round. company. Unicorn Female company. founded. Yes. Yeah. Jen's amazing. So That one was amazing for me. So I've been lucky in like some of the investments that I've had. I would say now, you know, they really handle the investments, but I'm pretty conservative. Like I like to have a lot of cash on hand. Um, I don't want to have everything in the market. I'm S&P 500 bonds, things that are pretty non-risky. And then I have a smaller bucket for like, okay, let's just go wild and see what we can do with this um, just to see. So that's kind of how I diversify out like my personal finances. It's like you want to be diversified as possible and not have all your eggs in one basket. Okay, what about this? How many bank accounts should you have? Because I've heard of crazy stories of, you know, bank accounts being frozen. And, you know, even Ben, my fiance, one of his bank accounts in the UK was like frozen and he couldn't touch those funds. And thank God he had another bank account. But how many bank accounts should you have to keep yourself safe? Yeah, I mean, at a minimum, two. Yeah. I think you need to have um, in different banks and different things. So I have Bank of America and UBS and I I run my entire business through Bank of America. And that money stays there and is like a, a healthy amount. I have some money in a credit union as well, which is like a separate, totally separate thing. And then I have UBS. So I think, and like, then you have PayPal, Venmo, like little things like Mm -hmm. that too, where you can kind of tap into things. I think spreading it out is smart, uh, but you don't want to spread it out so much that you're not getting the returns that you want Mm -hmm. um, because you're not putting enough capital in. So I think it's smart. I mean, I think that was a crazy lesson learned for a lot of people this, this past week. Yeah, really crazy. Well, this is all such great advice and for everyone listening, I'm sure. You know, no one really talks about this. I know. I love talking about it. I, I love like talking make, about it. I make it. all my girlfriends talk about it too. I'm like, we I need to it. all be, because I'm like, men talk about this all the time. Like on the golf course, what are you investing in? Like, it's crazy. And like, meanwhile, it's like, we have to talk about it as well. Yeah. Okay. So you launched your first company at 23 years old. I was very young too. You made the Forbes 30 under 30 list, which is incredible. That is a huge goal for so many people, but it can also create this huge expectation of trying to get your career complete before the age of 30. Tell me your thoughts on that and 
the expectations that maybe you imposed on yourself or the society has imposed on the world. Like, I'd love to hear your your take on that because it's so prominent. Yeah, well, it's funny because I think most people assume I got the Forbes 30 under 30 for Create and Cultivate, but I didn't. I got it for my first company. For marketing and yes. advertising, yeah. didn't you? So yeah, so it was my company called No Subject. So it's funny because it's like not— I think it's a good learning in that, like, not even my biggest and best idea was the one that got recognized. Wow. So it, I was still new and small, but I was making waves in a market where uh, not a lot of people were doing what I was doing. So I went, again, this is a long time ago, but I had moved to Los Angeles and no one was really doing influencer social media marketing in the spaces of like fashion, beauty, and startup. Mm -hmm. Everything was gaming and entertainment. So I was able to be a big fish in a smaller pond than in New York where I was beforehand. Right. So I think that's how I was able to kind of get that um, excitement. The thing that Forbes did for me was like, I had gotten a lot of press before that in like refinery, pop sugar, mm -hmm. like more female-centric press. The Forbes press really pushed me into the business scene. So people started taking me more seriously, which was amazing. But I think at the same time, like, I love that there's like, 40 under 40, 70 mm -hmm. under 70, 100 under 100, like whatever. Because I think like I know so many amazing women who started businesses in their 40s yeah. that are absolutely crushing it. So I think, you know, successes and timelines are a spectrum. Like don't feel like if you aren't a millionaire by the time you're 25, which now the internet is full of them. It's crazy. Even I sometimes am like, am I successful? Like <laughs> this person's 13 and has, you know, 10 houses. But it, it, you have to know it's, it's all like a little bit for show. And I mm -hmm. think setting yourself up for success and knowing what that looks like for you. And that might not be seven figures in your bank account. It might just be a job you love that's doing well and paying you what you want. Like it does, success has to be very relative to your situation. So where do you store all of these awards and accolades in your mind? Obviously, it doesn't seem like you have a big ego. You seem very down to earth and very grounded. Where are these stored in your mind? These like, oh, Forbes 30 under 30 and I just had an exit of 22 minutes. Like, tell me how you think about these achievements. Well, it's funny because I think I... I've met a lot of like women who've had similar and you know much more success than me and they feel very inaccessible, right? Mm -hmm. Like even to me, like I feel like it's a different echelon of human and vibe and like what they're yeah. going for and it feels very like unapproachable. But like I've built my whole business on being approachable and aspirational and like sharing secrets. I'm like, create and cultivate. Like we need more women talking about business. Like yeah. we need to like, you know, get out here because I needed that support in what I was going through. And I feel like when when I have gone through the exit and won the awards, I'm always like waiting for that moment where I'm like, I'll be like, you need to go through my assistant, you know, like whatever. And I'm never ever like that. It's funny because I just love being in the mix. I like love meeting people. But more importantly is like, I know what it's like to have no one believe in you, have no one want to invest in you, have people laugh at your business idea. And I don't want other people to go through that. So I'm very passionate. And like my life's work is to really help underrepresented founders make big moves because I think I was lucky I had people in my life that pushed me and get, helped me get into those rooms and have those meetings. And so I want to do the same for other people. Let's take a quick break so I can tell you about one of my favorite health hacks. I love how Organifi makes me feel and I've been talking about them for years now, but I bet you didn't know they have a shop by goal tab 
on their website, which is super interesting because I love shopping by goals and I love choosing things in my life based off of the result that I'd like to see. We do this on Superhuman. We do this when shopping online. So whether you're looking for weight management, sleep improvement, more energy, general wellness, or even brain health, Organifi, my favorite supplement company ever, has something for you. These superfood products are filled with amazing ingredients ingredients, their ingredient list should literally be at the front of the package because there is no filler crap in there. It is all organic, high quality adaptogens and superfoods mixed into beautiful products that taste incredible that you can just weave in to your everyday life. For me, my favorite products are the chocolate gold drink. This is like a healthy hot chocolate that I have in the evenings. It quite literally tastes like that powdered hot chocolate that you'd have as a kid with like the dried marshmallows. It literally tastes like that, but it's healthy and it is like super low sugar and full of incredible ingredients and it actually helps you sleep. So it's my bedtime go-to. You guys have heard me talk about that product so much. It is amazing. Some of the other products that I love by Organifi, their green juice in the morning is really good. I actually love the crisp apple flavor. This is one of their newer flavors and I am obsessed with this product because it just energizes you in such a natural, clean way in the mornings. Ooh, another one that I've just been trying that I'm in love with is the Peak Power. It is kind of like a pre-workout drink that you mix in cold water and it is so delicious, but I've been using it not just for a pre-workout for my workouts, but also before I need to sit down and use my brain and focus and write for my book. It just immediately energizes me and gets my brain into this state of like hyper focus and just creating really great stuff for this book. So I've been really relying on that, especially because I had quick coffee about six months ago. Sometimes I need a little caffeine boost without the jitters. Um, And then also I've been loving their glow drink. This is like a raspberry lemonade drink that has collagen in there and it's amazing for your skin. And then last but not least, every single day, if I have a smoothie, I have their Organifi vegan protein powder in that smoothie. So if you want to try my favorite Organifi products and you want to shop by your goal, just head to Organifi.com forward slash Mimi. And if you use the code Mimi, you can get 20% off anything on the website, including sale items. So just go to Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash Mimi and use the code Mimi to get a huge discount off your order. Now back to the episode. What would you say to the girl listening right now who's doubting herself? She's at the beginning of her career. She doesn't have many people in her life that believe in her, and she has huge dreams and aspirations, and she knows deep down that she's meant for greatness. And she just is lost and alone and just trying her best, but she's not seeing massive success yet. What would you say to her? I think— just keep pushing because I. it's funny, like even with Crate and Cultivate, everyone's like, oh my God, you guys blew up overnight. Crate and Cultivate's been around for like 12 years. Yeah, that's not an overnight <laughs> like, success. It's, it's a t- overnight success, 10 years in the making. Um, And it's the truth. It takes a while. Like I think we do live in a society that has instant gratification written all over it, instant overnight success. It's just not the case. Like you have to keep pushing and working at it and knowing that you also have to be your own best friend like in when you're being a business owner. Like when you're the boss and the CEO, no one's telling you good job. You're telling everyone else good job. So it's like you really have to be the one that has to be there for yourself. 
Let's talk about the myths and the facts of being a founder and being a successful founder. There are a lot of notions out there that state that you need VC funding. You need a lot of money. You need a whole team of executives. Tell me which myths you think are true and false in this industry. Yeah, no, it's so true. So both of my companies were completely bootstrapped. Yeah. So I never raised money. I honestly didn't even know that was a thing you could do. Like, yeah. I just was like, okay— but here's the reality and like here's the like how business actually works. You have to make more money than you spend. Yes. That's all you have to do. And so when you build something, think about it in the most basic sense of the word. And that's what I did. I was like, I know this is how much like my, you know, run rate is, you know, every month, every year, whatever, and I know I have to make more than that. And that's all I focused on. And it was like very basic, but it was very successful for the business long term. Um so being laser focused on margins and uh, profitability I think is really important. Like, that's first and foremost. Second of all is, like, you don't need the fancy office, the, like, you know, assistant, the gigantic C-suite. Like, I know so many people who are like, oh, I think I need to hire a CFO or a COO, blah, blah, blah most companies don't need a CFO yeah. or COO. Like, you need to be really smart about who you're bringing on and what their roles are and don't get caught up in the titles of everything. Like, find people who love your vision, are great to work with, are super smart, are motivated, and bring them in. And it doesn't matter what their job is, obviously. Like, those people are hard to find. And so when you find them, like, hold on to them. And I think that's really important. And then I think the other thing myth is that you need a massive team. Like, you really don't. I mean, I think now more than ever, there's so much automation out there in terms of running your business. Like, obviously, working remote has opened us up to an entirely new pool of candidates and employees. Yeah. And, like, run your business as lean as you can until you can't anymore and then hire accordingly. That's so clever. So I know this differs per industry, but what are the top three hires? If you're starting a business by yourself without a co-founder, what are the top three hires that you look for first? I think the biggest thing you need to ask yourself is, like, what is my weakness, yes. right? So if I know for me, I, specifically with Create and Cultivate, I'm really good at ideation. I understand like budgets, marketing, PR, mm -hmm. talent, creative. I can do that all day long. Mm -hmm. I, like it was, I jokingly say, but like when our C, I hired our COO to come on, I was also a creature of habit. So like everything was in Google Docs. We were, the whole team was on text, a text thread. Um, this like CNC group chat, we were like, call it. Like, and I did things my, in Drop, Dropbox, I was like, this is my formula. Yeah. This is what's always worked. And she came in and basically was like, we have to get everyone off text. Everyone needs to go on Slack. We need project management tools. And it like made me want to die because I'm like, no, no, no. This is how I, I do it. I have my formula. Yeah. You know, but she was right. In order to yeah. scale from like eight to 30 people, like there was no, way any of that stuff would have been viable like in a few years. Yeah. So I was so happy to bring someone on that took over the things that I don't love and that I'm not good at. So I think that's first and foremost, like if you hire someone that's also does the same thing you do early on, like you're going to end up butting heads and it's sort of like not a good use of funds. So think about like where your weaknesses are. Is it finance? Is it marketing? Is it business? Is it, you know, whatever it is and try to hire people around those. Love that. I'm a visionary and it's most core sense. And I was very good at wearing the integrator hat mm. when I first started Superhuman, but we have grown so much faster since I've hired integrators to help me with that work and yeah. then I can focus on the vision. Are you a visionary? You are. You're, I, you're ideation, you know, new ideas, seeing potential, but you are also an integrator. Yeah. I'm definitely an execution person. Like I like yeah. to get shit done yeah. and I move very fast. So I think that's also something that's interesting because I think 
the actual purpose and title of a CEO many times is the visionary, right? Like, mm-hmm. they're the ones leading the vision. Everyone's executing on it. I'm, like, a weird combination of both. Um, and I'm not great at letting go of stuff. But, like, I, I, you know, I've gotten better at it over time. That's such a rare quality in a founder. And that's very inspiring. You, you got to take that action. Yeah. It, nothing, ideas are, are basically worthless if you yeah. don't take that action. So let's talk about your your book, Work Party. I was reading some of the readers' reactions, your best-selling book, and so many people were saying, read this instead of Girlboss. <laughs> do you intend to write a book as an answer to Girlboss? And what do you think about that term? I, well, so it's interesting. I actually never read Girlboss. So I like, I, which I yeah. think was a good thing because I think it would have yeah. maybe influenced too yeah. much of like what I was doing. But I mean, look, I think Girlboss was an incredible movement and idea that was, you know, obviously formed by Sophia. And I think what she did for women in general was amazing. Raised the profile, um, all these different things. What became problematic with that over time was like, you know, it was sort of, um, you know, a little bit patronizing in terms of, you know, it's a girl boss, it's a girl company, it's a girl thing. And I don't think that was her intention. I think that's just why why are men not called male founders? Boy boss. No, but like (laughs) she's a female founder. And then if you just say founder, it's a male founder. It's a male founder. No, no, no. I know. It's wild. It's it's really, really crazy, actually. Um, and they, I, someone else said, like, why don't why aren't they called working dads? <laughs> I was like, it's so true. Right. I know. It's it's a total double standard. It's like insane. But you know, I don't think that was her intention, but that's obviously where the move, movement yeah. went. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I don't think like, you know, what my book was really about, it wasn't an antidote or in response to, I think every female founder story is helpful because we've all made mistakes and we've learned from them. But I really wanted it to be a part memoir, but part guidebook on how I did this, the terms I wanted to know, how I was able to think about things, the mistakes I made, all the messiness, but all the goodness around it. Um, And so I wrote it as if I was talking to my best friend. And that was really my intention was to make it extremely fun, extremely accessible. um, And people really related to it. And it's funny because, you know, it came out a while ago, but like, I still get so many incredible messages like every day that are like, oh my God, I stumbled upon this book. I picked it up. I'm just starting my business. You understand me. So it's really nice to hear. It's incredible. I, I'm writing a book right now and I can't wait to have, Yay. to be an author. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's the it's best. Really it's actually cool. like a really game-changing, life-changing thing yeah. to have like something physical out in the world. And I feel like it just positions you as more of an expert in whatever field you're in. Absolutely. Yeah. So another reader, when I was reading these reviews was like, quote, holy shit, she works hard. I wouldn't want her as a boss. How do you respond to that? I mean, fair. (laughs) Fair enough. No, it is actually interesting. I mean, I think another thing that I was not good at when I was, you know, the functioning CEO of the Creighton Cultivate that the new CEO is so amazing at is really um, the leadership lens. Like, I was a hard worker. I am a hard worker. I was always first one in, last one out in the office Mm -hmm. to create and cultivate. And I think unintentionally, it created an environment of extremely hard work because of the way I was. Not intentionally. Like, I didn't ever expect anyone to be there, you know, the same amount of time I was. I just was like, this is my company. Like, I got to, like, work my ass off, make sure everyone gets paid, you know, whatever. And I think, like, unintentionally, there became, like, you know, a little bit of the mentality of, like, oh, well, she works this hard. We have to work this hard. And then people were burning out and getting exhausted, which is hard. And it's like, I always forgot, like, that people look at, to me, 
to be, you know, the beacon of whatever. And it's hard. It's hard to do both. It's hard to be an incredible leader that isn't like, you know, working their ass off as well. And what the new CEO of Create and Cultivate does so well is like she's very methodical and thoughtful about how she communicates with the team, when she communicates with the team. And like, it's just a different style that I've learned so much from, you know, from a sign. And she always says being a founder and being a CEO of a company that's already existed is very different. Like you have different approaches of the way you do it. Founders are just so connected to that company. But look, I think um, I've had amazing employees at all of my companies that I'm so close with. And many of those employees have gone on to start their own companies, which I consider a huge success. You know, and I even have said that to employees where I'm like, look, like you'll get a masterclass in running a business and you can take this knowledge and do with it what you will. And I'll support you and be excited for you in that way. But obviously I have a working style that is good for some people, bad for other people. And I think, you know, there was a moment in time when we were scaling so fast that like, the good resume, the good interview, it was like, get them in the door versus, okay, let's have a longer conversation about what it's like to work here, what your expectations are, what my expectations are. And I think I got better at hiring over time of like being able to say like, here's the real deal of like what it's like to work here. And, you know, is that communication style work for you? Does that cadence Mm -hmm. work for you? And I think people were able to more frequently weed themselves out, be like, I don't want to work here. I don't think that's for me, you know? So I think I just got better at the process over time. That's great. And when when you talk about hiring, do you have any top tips for founders looking to hire? Yes. How many interviews before choosing the person? What kind of, you know, red flags are there when hiring? Totally. So by the end of, you know, Creighton Cultivate, um, someone would be interviewed at least three times before they got to me. So they would be interviewed by um, the managing the manager at their team, like who would obviously be the direct report first. So if that doesn't vibe, like yeah. that's probably not gonna happen. And then they would be interviewed by our GM, who really manages managed like the day to day was like my number two to to get a personality check. Then they'd go to the COO, which would be more like a formality of like yeah. salary benefits, yeah. you know, expectations, things like that. And then I would do the last interview. So by that time, they'd been pretty thoroughly vetted, and I. I had all the notes of like what had happened with those interviews. But in the interviews, especially people who were going to work directly with me, you know, I'm very upfront about where we were as a company. Um, Because I think what I realized was is a lot of people thought we were venture backed or much larger than we were, um, which we weren't. And I think other people saw our Instagram and all these things and we're like, oh my God, it's so glamorous and amazing and the celebrities, oh my God. And when they got there and I'm like stuffing gift bags, they're like, what? (laughs) This is not what I thought it was going to be. So I'd like to, you know, be as upfront Mm -hmm. as possible in those meetings of like, yes, we're scaling, we're growing. Yes, there's so much room for opportunity, but we do work very much like a small scrappy business right now. Um, And everyone works really hard and, you know, everyone's super talented, um, but it's not a, you know, kind of, you know, check in at nine, leave at five situation. Um, doesn't mean that you're going to be working insane hours, but it's like, we want people who it's are super dedicated yeah. and excited about what we're doing. For sure. And I feel like that startup culture is that, you yeah. know, and I have to prep my, you know, staff that I'm taking on because I'm hiring quickly at the moment. So I'm really in the thick of this hiring process at the moment. And I need to tell them, listen, it's, it's a startup. It's a startup. Yeah. And it's not really nine to five. Like that's the majority of the working hours, but you're going to have to be all in with me. Yeah. You know, it's a different energy. You need yep. to truly love what you do. It's not, okay, it's five o'clock. Okay, I'm turning off my computer and 
that's it. You know, if you're needed, you know, you're needed. 100%. And you're building this baby with us. And yeah. it's a totally different mindset. I've made the, the mistake in the past hiring people that have just had corporate experience really early stage in the business. And, you know, it just— It doesn't work. —wasn't a fit. yeah. It just wasn't great. Um, okay, also, you, you write, I really want to touch uh, touch on this with you. You write that you wouldn't keep someone on your staff who says, I'm sorry, that's not my job. Unpack that thinking for me and uh, tell me about your ideal employee because I couldn't agree more. If someone says that is not my job, I'm not doing that. It's again, that more corporate mentality, not that startup, you know, put my sleeves up and get ready to work. Let's dive into that. Why, why do you say that? Yeah, so it's funny. So someone... Um, said that to me on a podcast a while ago and they, on on work party and there was a ton of backlash in the comments about it. And I think that there's two schools of thoughts on thought on this and I think it was more of a clarity issue. What I'm saying is not that like if you are a marketing executive at a company and they're like go pick up my dry cleaning. Yeah. Like yeah, we're not no, talking about we're that. not talking about that. What we're talking about is more people who are inherently curious about their job and want to push yeah. and see how they can do things better over time, whether that's specific to what they're currently working on, what a teammate's working on, being able to reach across the aisle and have conversations with other people on the team and be like, hey, I think we can do this better and keep pushing on those things. Like that to me is so exciting because the reality is, is like businesses change so much environments change so much. Like, okay, we're, you know, a social media manager, for instance, like, oh, now we have to be on TikTok. Now we have to think about this. Like, things change so quickly. So people who are hungry for that excite me. And that's typically who I get excited about. Mm -hmm. Again, it's not about like, well, when I, you know, this is what I thought it was going to be. And for, you know, a great example is like, the stuffing of the gift bags. It's an all hands on deck situation when we were extremely small. Obviously now we have like producers and stuff like that that do that. But when we were small, we were doing that. But like, that would be an example of someone who's like, well, I'm not doing that. It's like, no, we. it's a team thing. It's more about the experience Collaboration. together. Exactly, of doing it yeah. um, and putting the hard work in. So in the book and on your podcast, you largely focus on entrepreneurs. That is your thing. So many will never do that. So what's your number one piece of advice to anyone trying to make it up the corporate ladder and people that aren't really interested in having their own business, being an entrepreneur, but people that want to make it in an industry where they are working for a company? I mean, I I always say that we had a lot of interesting articles um, about, you know, being a number two at a business yeah. or working your way up in some way, shape, or form. Um, I think that's great. I don't, yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. I think there's a lot of glamorization about being the founder or the CEO. Like, we all need number twos and, like, people that are going to be working with us. I think the biggest piece of advice I would have is, like, you have to be an advocate for yourself. Um, and I think when it comes to being successful in a corporate environment, understanding your boss's communication language is so important. Are they a list person, an email person, a meeting person? You know, understanding how they best communicate and really mm -hmm. figuring out your way around that will give you so much success in that um, relationship because I think it's when people butt heads on like, oh, I have no idea what you're working on. You're not giving me the right information. And I think don't be as scared to ask hard questions, but don't, 
um, approach with like a threatening nature. Yeah. I think a lot of times employees feel like they need to come in hot with ideas or whatever because they're they feel like they're not being heard. But the reality is, is like most founders and CEOs are so overwhelmed. Like they they aren't in the day to day with you. So coming to them and saying like, hey listen, I think, you know, we've been working really hard. I think we should do a mental health day on Friday. Like, would you be open to that? Here's why I think we should do it, blah, blah, blah. Coming with solutions versus problems is the best trait an employee anyone could ever have. You have interviewed incredible women, powerhouse women, like Chelsea Handler, Martha Stewart, Kristen Bell, Jessica Simpson, and I could go on. Is there a common trait that you've noticed between all of these powerhouses, including people that aren't on that list? Yeah, I mean, I think like confidence. I think that's truly really where we see like most people come into play is like a lot of all all these women that I've been able to interview have had an amazing confidence, even if it's not their expertise. Like I think like some women that I interview are definitely more business savvy than other women, but they have their CEO right alongside them. Mm -hmm. Like they're confident in the decisions they're making and the way that they're maneuvering their career. And what would you say to someone that struggles with confidence? I think confidence is something, well, one, I think fake it till you make it is very true. I think there has to be a level of like hyping yourself up to get out there and do the thing. But the reality is, is like there was this meme going around that was like, anyone for anyone who's struggling with confidence, me, the CEO of your favorite startup, and you'll feel much better. And I think it was true. Like even in my first job, like I remember we, you know, Amazon was a client and um, all these people. And I realized like how unorganized and like, you know, chaotic those companies are and you're like you think they're the biggest and best companies in the world the reality is no one knows what they're doing like everyone's figuring it out so the sooner that you embrace that the more confident you'll become you're so right we put these huge companies on a pedestal and create these expectations in our mind and it's never accurate 100% everyone's just trying to do the best they can with what they have so I a big theme for this new season of the podcast is truly, you know, stepping into your ultimate self and and creating the life that you desire. I believe that we can, quote, have it all. You know, you can have that amazing relationship, a booming career, healthy body, and all that good stuff. And that's a goal of mine to always, you know, at some point try to have every bucket in my life fulfilled. What is your take on the quote, having it all? And do you feel right now that you have it all? I, it's an interesting question. I've Someone once said to me, you can have it all, but you don't have it all at the same time. And I I've thought that, that was like interesting as well, because I, I think there's ebbs and flows to everything in your life, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think um, there's good days and bad days in your job. There's good days and bad days in your relationship. Yeah. So I think it's about understanding what having it all means to you. And if that means that you're able to get up and do your workout every day without the stress or impact of like your business, like weighing down on you, mm-hmm. like you're able to put food on the table for your family, mm-hmm. you're able to take that nice trip, whatever it is that is like having it all to you, yeah, then you can have it all. But if you think you can have it all by having like the picture perfect movie set life, like it doesn't exist. It does not exist. Perfection just doesn't exist. Yeah. I totally agree. And maybe you go through a season of your life where you're working incredibly hard on your business. And then, you know, once that has stabilized itself and then you're working hard on your health and your relationships, and then at some point, the goal is to kind of just revel in all that work that you had put in in your life. So I, I couldn't agree more. So what are some of the behind the scenes elements that are absolutely necessary for you when it comes to feeling your best and living your best life? I think for me, I think a lot of this kind of 
cropped up during the pandemic, but working out is something that's like hugely important to me. I love, you know, whether it's a Pilates class or Peloton or hot yoga or whatever, like I try to mix it up like all the time. I think that's really important to me. Um, I love being outside and like walking my dog. Like obviously she's like the love of my life. So I think that's like so important to me is like to get outside, spend time with her and like, you know, obviously um, have that side of things. And then I also am pretty, and again, this is a new phase for me because I definitely wasn't like this in the heat of like all things CNC, but um, I check out pretty early. Like I, I typically end my days like 5, 5.30 and then I do not engage after that unless it's something like super urgent. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I've really been focused on hobbies because I remember some, one time someone was like, what are your hobbies when I was running Crank and Cultivate? I was like, I have no hobbies. <laughs> I have no hobbies. I have nothing cool about me. All I do is work. Um, and I was like, that's really depressing. So now I've gotten super into gardening. I'm taking mm-hmm. cooking classes. I'm training to be a sommelier. So I'm doing some fun things for myself as well, which has been a newer thing, um, but I'm loving it. That's amazing. Yeah. I love that. I love that. All right. So um, I want to move on to talking about mental health. You've been super open about struggles with anxiety, depression. Have you always been very open with those struggles? It seems like, again, very grounded, down-to-earth, open person um, you are. So I'd love to hear, you know, about your experience with that and why you decided to be open about it. Yeah. I mean, I would say I definitely like to be open about it because I feel like looking into, you know, the picture-perfect Instagram of everyone's life, I was like, why am I failing? Like, Mm -hmm. why do I feel like I'm so stressed and so anxious all the time? And then I would find myself talking to women and everyone felt the same way, but like no one was talking about it. And so I try to put a lens on that as well because I think much like we were just chatting about, like I think female founders, influencers get put on this pedestal of like having this amazing life. And it's just not necessarily the case. Like there's amazing things that can happen, but there's also like being a a solo founder, like founder depression is really real. You are alone in that struggle and it's very hard to find people who support or care as much as you do. Um, And it can, you make really tough decisions and you have to be, you know, a pillar of calmness. And I mean, perfect example is like during COVID when chaos was unleashing and our business was failing. I had to come in every day and like rally the team and get them like okay with what was going on. And then I'd go home and like have a total panic attack. And so I think it's really, really challenging. So I like to be as open about it as possible because I've struggled with it myself. Yeah. So when did this start? Was it when you were, you know, creating this success with Create and Cultivate or is it before then? When when did you start feeling that pressure and seeing the effects? Yeah, it was definitely, it was a very specific moment. It was when um, my business partner and I and my first company broke up. Um, so it was brutal. It was messy because obviously we were both like first-time business owners and like all these things had happened. Um, it was really stressful. I had to take over the company. I had to like get the employees on board. I was like 25. Um, and I started having panic attacks, but I didn't know what they were. Like, like, I just was, like, having trouble breathing. I was freaking out. I would, like, mm-hmm. and it was really hard. And, I, and that was the first time I, like, went to a therapist, was yeah. able to, like, start working on that side of things. Um, you know, I've been on antidepressants, anti-anxiety medication ever since. So almost, like, 20 years. Crazy. Yeah. Um, but I, um, you know, I've I, after that, I realized, you know, what it felt like. Because I think a lot of times people just don't know what it feels like. Um, it just becomes and, normal. Yeah, it just feels, yeah. you're like, I guess this it is what stress in. feels like. And yeah. it's like, no, it's it's much more complicated than that. So that's when I really started to feel it. And then obviously I've been able to 
manage it somewhat, like, yeah. you know, as best as I can. No, of course. So do you experience anxiety now? And how do you go about it when you do? Yeah, I definitely, ex- I definitely still experience, you know, anxiety and stress. I think I've gotten so much better at coping with it and understanding how to deal with it. I think I definitely have become better at knowing my own boundaries of how much I can take on. Um, I'm the type of person that can take on a lot. I can handle a ton of anxiety and a lot of stress and be like, like functioning. I actually function better in those environments, which is like scary. But I think I've definitely got a good gauge on my tipping point of like when too much is too much and to pull back and make better decisions for myself. Mm -hmm. I keep noticing these things about your self-image. I am a hardworking person. I, you know, I am someone that X, Y, and Z throughout the entire conversation. And I'm a big believer that your self-image creates your life. So it's just really interesting to note here for the listeners that, you know, Jacqueline's self-image is one of, I am a boss, I'm hardworking, I can take on a lot, you know, and then also everything else that you've said in this conversation is just really interesting to me. And it's it's something that I notice recurringly when I meet very successful people that they have the self-image of someone who is very successful. So I just want to note that. (laughs) Want to get into some quick fire questions? Ooh, let's do it. Okay, so... So you are firing someone that you really like, but they're not cutting it. What do you say to them? Ooh, so I'm not a big fan of like, um, and sorry, this is rapid fire, but I'm going to just give you a little (laughs) anecdote. But I don't feel like you should fire someone without at least giving them um, the possibility of uh, curing, you know, what's going wrong. So I'm a big fan of like 30-day notice. Um, where I'm like, you have 30 days to get to this certain place and then we can discuss. So I wouldn't say I would fire anyone just on the spot, but I think also usually if someone's getting fired or they're quitting or whatever it is, like it's mutual. They just don't know it yet. Mm. That's a really, really, really good point. It is mutual. Yeah. So if you gave them that 30 day warning and they still aren't cutting it, how do you break the news and what do you actually say word for word? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it's all based on the metrics. So it's like you didn't hit yeah. these, these specific goals and things like that. And usually what I would say is like people who are passionate and excited about what they're doing will be successful. And like, it's clear that like you're maybe not passionate or excited, or maybe this isn't the right role for you. Um, You know, the skill sets don't line up. But again, I do think it's like that thing of like it, they aren't succeeding for some reason, right? So Mm -hmm. it's probably ends up being mutual in the long run anyway. Right. Yeah, for sure. So next scenario here, someone that you don't know that you've never heard of asks you if they could have some of your time to quote, pick your brain. You're a very busy woman. What do you say? Yeah, I love this. Okay, so there's this amazing solution for this. It's called Intro. So have you heard of this app? Oh my God, you have to be on it. So um, basically Intro is on-demand mentoring with amazing people like Alexis Ohanian's on the platform, Rachel Zoe, like Nate Berkus. It's like all over the place in terms of like types of people. So I'm on intro. I've been doing it for the last year. And basically you can book 15, 30, 45 minute sessions. Um, I donate 50% of the proceeds to a charity I'm on the board of. And so basically anytime anyone asks me now, I say, book me on intro. Part of it goes to charity. It's a great way to do it. I've done over 200. It's amazing. And I've met so many cool people. What a great app I knew nothing about. game changing. Wow. And it's so smart because it creates that boundary of like, my time is worth something. And if you're really serious, then you will invest this money to talk to me. 100%. Yeah, love that. 
All right, next scenario. Someone asks for a raise. You value them, but you do not want to give them the raise just yet. How do you respond? So I always am a big fan. Like, raises are permanent. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, the way I always think about financials and salaries and stuff is usually it's, like, bucketed and very specific to that position. Like, it's not willy-nilly. And, like, that person makes this much and this person makes that much because you do need some continuity across the board Mm -hmm. um, to make sure everyone's getting paid fairly and equally. What I am a big fan of is incentivized bonuses based on performance. Um, because if the company does great, then that person's in, you know incentivized with a performance-based bonus. So I usually lean into performance-based bonuses mm-hmm. versus raises, um, which can oftentimes be much more money um, than a, a raise itself. So I would probably opt for like the performance-based bonus. Yeah, great. All right, next scenario here. Someone arrives at a Create and Cultivate event. She is young, she's new all alone, tell me exactly how you would advise her to navigate a networking event. I love that. So it's actually awesome because so many people come alone to Create and Cultivate. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say first and foremost, I've seen um, in the Create and Cultivate group on Facebook, people will post that. Like, coming in from Boston, you know, mm-hmm. oftentimes they'll even say, I'm going to do a meetup at this bar, you know, the, the day before or whatever, and they'll get little crews together and all meet each other beforehand so they don't go into it totally alone. Um, but I think putting yourself out there on those platforms, like, here's what I do. I'd love to meet up with anyone that's there. Um, Huge, huge, huge opportunity. The other thing is, is be unapologetically forward. Introduce yourself, say hi, compliment someone's shoes, like whatever it is, just get yourself in the mix. Um, Or if you just want to be alone and like listen to cool people chat and do your thing, that's cool too. But I think it's actually the most, people always comment me on how amazingly friendly our community is. And obviously I don't, I don't think I have a lot to do with that, but it is one of the most welcoming communities out there. Like I, people email me, they found their business partner there. They found their future husband there, whatever. It's crazy. So don't be afraid to go solo. All right. What shouldn't she do at this event? I would say don't be scared to go outside your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually the perfect place to go outside your comfort zone. Great. All right. What's the biggest red flag when you are talking to a founder? Ooh, I mean, I think... Founders who are excited to just be the face of the company. I think it's like to be a founder, like you really need to understand every facet of your business. Like I really like founders that have done every role within the company um, or provide some sort of expertise. I think sometimes now there's this like want to just be a famous founder or a face founder. And it's, I just think it's really inauthentic. Yeah, it's more ego-based for sure. Um, Okay, how do you handle when a man in business talks over you? Oh, God. It's so funny because I actually don't work with a ton of men. Like, I, I, I yeah. jokingly, especially creating cult, all I did is ever work with women. Being in venture, I think, um, has definitely been interesting and eye-opening. Um, you know, I think I'm at a point in my career where people don't do that that often to me. Um, but I, I really don't tolerate it. But I would say the best way to rebuttal anyone who is talking over you, talking down to you, whatever, is have stats to back it up. Like, understand whatever it is that you're talking about, have data to back it up, and they will immediately be shut down. What about if a man is is just being a bit condescending in what he's saying, and we're in a business meeting, or you're even in an interview with a guy? I had this happen to me. I was hiring for a product manager role three months ago, and I did many interviews, and I had grown men actually be rude to me on these interviews, knowing that I'm the founder. It's like talking down to me and in some way it happened to different people that I interviewed. So I'd love to know from you, are you the kind of person that will straight out be honest and be 
and, and say, I don't really like how you're speaking to me or you're just, you know, noting that this person's not the right one to be involved with. Well, I'm, I will definitely call people yeah. out. But for the most part, I, I, because I think it's important to educate on that stuff. Like, listen, like your tone is extremely condescending. Mm-hmm. I will be your boss. It sounds like you would not have a good working relationship with me as your, you know, yeah. CEO and founder. And as such, I don't think this is a great fit. So I'm going to go ahead and end the call. Like, no problem. Like I all day long will do that stuff. Um, I think it's really about asserting your authority in that way, um, especially if they don't even realize they're doing it, which is a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I have no problem, um, you know, standing up for myself. And again, like you don't have to get into it. You just end the call. Good. Very good. All right. What's your reaction when you see a critical tweet or comment about you? Oh man, it happens a lot. I feel like I used to take it very personally. Um, and now I, I mean, again, if it's good criticism, like I wish, you know, that this was more like this. I wish you would cover this topic at Create and Cultivate or like, you know, I hated the sandwiches, whatever. I Feedback is welcome. I think it's people who are more like, um, you know, criticizing my physical appearance yeah. or, you know, whatever it is, like I block and move on. <laughs> yeah, ugh, ugh. I always say what people say about you says more about them than totally. it says about you. What is your go-to power outfit if you're going into a meeting and it's an in-person meeting and you need to feel like the most powerful version of yourself? What are you wearing? Oh, I love that. I mean, I think a blazer always Mm -hmm. is like the move for a meeting like that. Like you just feel like professional and legit. Yeah, totally. What's the best way to snap out of a bad mood? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I mean, I think for me is like going for a walk, getting away from the noise, like the scrolling, the whatever, like going for a walk with my dog. Love that. What's the best business advice that you've ever received? God. I mean, so business advice, I would say, is get it in writing. Um, That, for me, was like a (laughs) life-changing advice, Um, especially in my early days as a founder. Like, I remember I was just so excited if we got new business. I'd be like, all right, let's just start on it. Let's go. And, like, the contract will come and, like, whatever. And then, of course, you know, something Something happens. happens. But get it in writing. Get a good legal team. Invest in legal. Very, very good advice. What makes you feel superhuman? I would say when I get messages from women where Create and Cultivate has changed their life or impacted them in some way, shape, or form. Beautiful. I love that so much. So finally, this, as you know, this episode is part of our new revamped Mimi podcast. And along with having it all, I'm putting a big focus on the self-image, like I was mentioning earlier. So I'd love to know who is Jacqueline Johnson's ultimate future self, self-image, and this could be five years down the line. You know, where is she living? What does she have? What's her net worth? How many companies has she invested in? Tell me the ultimate future vision for yourself. Oh, I love that. I mean, so uh, we were talking about this earlier, but I bought a house in Napa. It's on seven acres. It's basically like a farm. It's amazing. And I'm definitely a different person there. It's really fascinating um, to experience, like definitely slower life, um, all those different things. So, I mean, I think long-term would love to obviously settle up there, have a lot of land, gardening, farm, like a hundred dogs, um, just like living living that life. I think for me, like I would love my legacy to really just be about um, getting more underrepresented founders funded. Like I think for me, that's, that's a huge opportunity, whether I'm advising, investing in businesses is, you know, definitely what I want to be doing. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I think net worth, I, you know, for me, I'm like, I, I'm would love to obviously have an amazing net worth, all those different things. But I think as long as I'm happy, have money in the bank and can support the people around me, like I'm good. Beautiful. 
Love it. Well, it seems like you are pretty much living your future self-energy <laughs> right now. <laughs> I mean, we'll see. We'll see. I'm definitely still in the mix. But um, yeah, I think long-term, that's where I want to be. This has been such an amazing conversation. Everyone's going to get so much value from it. I cannot wait to release this. Jacqueline, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. So excited to be here. Before we go, where can everyone find you and uh, you know check out your book, what you're doing now, Cherub, and everything that you have going on? Yes. So I'm mostly on Instagram, sometimes on TikTok at Jacqueline R. Johnson. You can go sign up for Cherub, investwithcherub.com. Follow us on Instagram, investwithcherub, um, at createcultivate, createcultivate.com, and then Work Party, the podcast. Amazing. And intro app if you want to book in an intro intro call. if you want to book me, yeah. (laughs) Love it. Yay, thank you so much. Thank you, that was awesome. That is all the time we have. Thank you so much for listening. Please don't forget to follow, subscribe, or leave a rating. This really helps the show and it helps us bring you more of the conversations that you crave. Bye for now.